Welcome to Awaken to Sleep Education. Holy cow, there's a lot of questions. Um, first one, can you restate what you, early, what you said earlier about the difference between education and excuses? Yes, um, this is one of my anchors for me to always remember, and I hope this helps you guys. But when you inform the patient ahead of time, right? It's education, it's knowledge, you're informing the patient ahead of time, and when it happens, you're a genius. But when you inform a patient about something after the fact, after you've inserted an appliance or done something, it's just an excuse. And it just, you just lose your uh, credibility. So I'm really about identifying red flags. I sound like a broken record, but I like to identify issues. And I actually like to put the accountability, accountability on the patients and let them know, document it. But when it happens, just like I said, it might, I'm like, awesome. Yes. Yep. Yeah. So important. Thank you. Um, okay. So uh, Abby asked, uh, is the doctor dentist, uh, the one who's responsible for the clinical evaluation, just confirming or in a calibrated workflow, what part are you as the doctor doing versus the sleep champion is doing? Yeah. So what I like to do is when you've got your sleep champion trained up and really like on par and with comfort, all of the things that we do, such as a basic TMD muscles, our range of motions, all of those things, that's information gathering. That's data gathering. If you have an amazing rockstar team member, you train them to do that, they can information gather. But their responsibility is to impart all that information to you when you come into the room. And you need to be responsible to putting on your listening ears and not have your head back in the restorative procedure that you left or the hygiene check, but you have to know what you're listening for and what your what is your aligned action to your sleep team member to go over with your patient. Awesome. Uh, you talked about posterior, actually, hold on. We are at the six o'clock mark. If you all just came for the CE, your survey is gonna be in the chat or it's gonna be in your email exactly one hour after we end this webinar. But if you came for the content and the learning, we're gonna stick around and answer a whole bunch more questions. So it's in the chat there. Uh, if you want CEs, if you wanna schedule a call with a coach or go to the discounted course, it's all right there because somebody awesome put it in there. Thank you guys, team on the back end. Okay, posterior open bite. Mm. We talked a bunch about that, we, you, talked a bunch about that. <laughs> what causes the what's the actual cause of the posterior open bite? Is it due to changes at the joint position or extrusion of the anterior teeth? And pair it with another couple of questions. How do you treat it? What do you do? And when? Right. So um, changes in the posterior, you know, occlusion, that sudden change could be changes in joint position you know, inflammation goes away and suddenly you've got an open bite. Diagnosis, knowing what the cause is before you start stepping in and treating it. In you know, super eruption of anterior teeth, 
Possibly, but not with sleep appliance therapy, because remember, those appliances are so rigid and they act like splints, right? They're not going to allow tooth movement and extrusion. Um, could it be posterior open bites can happen if the patients are not wearing their morning aligner? And so the lower jaw likes to be in that position and you get some remodeling of the jaw joints. Yeah, that could be. How do you treat it? It depends if it's being picked up early. Is there a way to reverse it? Is it a long-term, you know, posterior change? Like I had a patient who had a, a mad made by someone seven years ago, and then she came to my office and she was class three, like class three, but her front teeth were all like had chipping and wear and I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't make, make her teeth move, you know, in that way. So it really depends on, on the treatment of a posterior open bite. Could be nothing, but then it could be based on how long it's been like that. Got and it. yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, how, and I guess last one on posterior open bite, I forgot to roll this one in. How likely is it that a unilateral posterior open bite, how likely is a unilateral posterior open bite if you recapture the disc on one side? And that's a good question. I have not come across that and I don't have any data to, to give you a, a solid answer to that. But if Michael, we could get the name and, you know, I'll do some research and get, get in on that. Okay, cool. Um, well, it's like you said, we're, we got 45 minutes to an hour tonight, which is uh, going to be over an hour. Um, we'll keep plugging though. Mm -hmm. um, somebody asked, uh, they've had a patient in an MAD for seven months. Regular dentist is telling the patient that she has a new deep perio pocket on number 31 and is blaming the MAD. Is this possible? And have you ever heard of an MAD causing perio issues? I haven't heard of um, a MAD causing a localized perio issue. So, you know, again, it has to go back to what did that bone and perio pocketing look like on that particular tooth before the appliance was put in and comparing your radiographic images and your perio charting um, from that time to now. And then checking, do, you know, when you put your appliance in, did you have to do any relieving? Did you change something on the anchorage? So there's a lot of factors in that. Um, but I would just start with what, you know, what was the original presentation compared to the presentation now and, and, and see and go from there. Got it. Cool. Um, next one, uh, how do you build in the mandible deflection on an oral appliance or it depends on the type of the oral appliance? I don't understand that, but are they talking about the midline and the def deflecting and aligning it up or are they talking about a discluder? Um, that we've got a couple other uh, questions about discluders. I think it's the midline shift. The midline. midline shift. You yeah. don't you don't build in a deflection uh, or sorry a, a midline shift into your appliance. Um, and you know, real quick, what you want to do is not create a torque on the patient's joint and muscles. So if a patient, like for me, when I go forward, I actually go my midline shifts to that way. So when I'm going to take a bite record on myself, I want to mimic that. 
right? I don't want to create, I don't want to bring my lower jaw midline to center with my upper to make it look perfect because it's going to create a torque. Yeah. Got it. Um, and I, I don't, I, I hate to be obnoxious or cheeky, but here's the thing. If you take my clinical course, you'll get much more information on that compared to this one hour. <laughs> For sure. So, yes. Um, okay. So uh, somebody asked uh, how fast do you titrate the protrusion weekly or it depends. I, I'd say short answer. Yes, that's in the clinical course. Can you give us a short snippet for that? Though? Sure. I mean, my I always start with a um, guys, I always start with a 24 hour for, uh, phone call to see how the patient did on their first night. OK, and then I will do a two week in office follow up. And then depending on what the patient is doing, feeling what they're um, quantitatively feeling with their pain points and all of those things will determine when I actually go ahead and do my titration and all of those things. Cool. Thank you. Um, if you want the detailed stuff, you know where to go. Uh, how do you determine exercises that you recommend and resources you refer to? You already pointed people to the AADSM site for yeah. that. Yeah. Um, I do have, I mean, I've collected a few exercises for myself to give patients like a lateral stretch and a uh, massive to stretch. Um, we, uh, you know, any YouTube videos and do a, you know, type in a lateral pterygoid release, uh, massive release, you'll find those. And like I said, you can have them, you know, you can type them out or I find that people are so visual. Mostly we are all visual in our learning. You'll have some auditory people, some kinesthetic people, um, but usually it's visual. So if you have videos from YouTube, send them to your patient through Revenue Well or Yappy or whatever, but they'll have them on their phone. But the most important thing is to make sure that your sleep queen um, actually sits with the patient and shows them how to do it. Yep. Yeah, don't, don't, don't send them to YouTube without telling them how to spell pterygoid. Um, yeah, they, well, <laughs> send them the actual link of it. Um, and then as for myofunctional therapy, there are some great myofunctional therapists who actually have their own offices. I would look for them in your local area and start building up a referral base. They are amazing, amazing at helping, again, strengthen the positioning of the tongue, strengthening the tongue makes such a difference in outcome for sleep. Because if you have a stronger tongue and it's, it's basically going to help stop that collapse, they're connected. So yeah, local networking with your myofunctional therapist. Cool. Anything, um, another question on the exercises, is there anything different you would do for TMD patients versus your MAD patients? You know, I, it really depends on the diagnosis. Um, if there's muscle pain, it's going to be a lot of muscle work, muscle release release for TMD patients. It depends if they're in pain. I'm not going to have them do so much. Um, you know, it's got to, I've got to get them out of pain. I've got to be very palliative. Yeah. Got it. Um, have you had good results with your spray and stretch techniques? Absolutely. They're great for relief and they're great for um, diagnostic capabilities too. Cool. Um, okay. So anterior deprogrammer, NTI, 
morning repositioners, how do you handle this? When do you add an anterior um, deprogrammer? The, yeah. So, you know, yeah, <laughs> usually discluding elements I'll want to do in those clenchers, um, you know, headaches. Uh, but one of the pitfalls that I will tell you to do, um, this is another red flag warning. 20% of the population do not benefit from any um, discluding elements. So this is a quick way to quick, 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 quick check. So have your patients bite down on their back teeth, clench their muscles, activate the masseters and see how much force they're putting in Then slide to the front teeth together and see how much muscle activity reduces. They've got a reduction and you've got a clencher, you've got headaches, maybe that's where I would put a discluding element in. But if there's no difference or it gets worse, stay away from the discluding element. Okay, for real, how many of you that are still on here actually did that when, like I did? When she said, okay, bite down and then move it forward and bite. Did you notice a difference? Yeah, I did. <laughs> Thank you, Abby. There's two of us. All right, so, okay, for real, a ton of people did this. All right. It's not just me. Uh, funny question. Who would win in a wrestling match between me or the ultimate warrior? That's a dumb question, Jason. Me, because he's like 82 if he's still alive, right? Just Wait, kidding. that reminds me of my joke. Oh, no. Oh, no. What did Mike Tyson... Well, Mike Tyson and Chris Helmsworth, imagine that they're working out in a gym and they're sparring with each other. And Mike Tyson's really making Chris work for his money, right? And they finished and they said goodbye. What were, Mark, what were Mike Tyson's parting words? I have no idea. You'll be poor tomorrow. For, the, for those people that died just like me right now, um, <laughs> I don't even know what to say. I'm going to try to call in reinforcements in the chat and it's not working. Oh my gosh. I hope I got a lot of laughs there because I think that was hilarious. <laughs> All right, moving on. <laughs> difference between the phonetic bite and the George Gage bite. Oh, such a big difference. So phonetic bite is more of a neuromuscular bite. When you take a phonetic bite, it is really to get your patient in the most comfortable place. Um, it is to do with watching the patient count through the 60s through to the 70s. And there's a, um, it's actually a Apex, Dental, a Apex Dental Lab in Burbank make these little phonetic jigs. And you can then pop it in there and take a bite registration. But if you came to the clinical course, I would teach you. <laughs> Not reading Tony's joke. Do not read the chat. Wait. It's getting late. Uh, I know CPAP actually causes bite changes. Uh, can CPAP cause TMD in any way? It can. Um, it can. Yeah. yeah. You, you know, the CPAP face, long-term CPAP wearers. So again, that's why I always say, you know, mystery in the history. Well, I don't say it. Jamison Spencer did, you know, and I just yeah. am impersonating him. Um, so uh, basically, history questions, CPAP. I actually do believe a lot of CPAP wearers should be wearing some kind of appliance. Yep. Yeah. For sure. Okay. So um, 
what's the t the code for a TMJ exam? Do you send it to medical or dental? Uh, you, I'll answer it, the medical side. Yeah, you do the medical. Medical, there is a whole variety of ENM evaluation management codes. It's gonna depend on what you're measuring. Did you take vitals, all of the stuff? Did you meet the criteria, how long and what systems are measured? That's not an easy answer for tonight. I'll let you answer the dental side. Do you bill it to dental? And is there a single code that you normally use for your exam? I do a dummy non-insurance code with a private fee. Cool. Uh, mechanism uh, for the negative effect of PPIs on OSA. Great question. I don't think I have enough information on that. Okay, cool. Um, how does BDO play into this? I'm not in, sure what this is because that was asked a yeah, little bit ago. Yeah, Sorry. VD, yeah, VD, the vertical dimension. I mean, it really depends. Like I said, you, you know, again, with TMD, if you have an active TMD patient who's in pain, um, you're not going to open the video immediately because that's not going to be comfortable for them. That's where your diagnosis, making the appliance with maybe a neuromuscular phonetic bite to get them comfortable, get them out of pain, and then evaluating where they're, where they're at and if they need a vertical for their MAD. Yeah. Got it. Uh, John asks, what are the reasons you'd avoid an anterior discluding element? Actually, to be honest, I don't do them that often. They're not one of my go-tos. And what I found is where I've added them on patients, um, funnily enough, 50% uh, I've removed. Got it. Uh, do class three folks, Paul asks, do class three folks need any mandibular adjustment before doing the bite because they don't go forward very much? I, it really depends on what the patient's whole goal is, right? So if you are, if you're only addressing sleep, you're not going to do a mandibular adjustment for a sleep appliance. But if you are talking about the, to the patient about the way they function, they look, and it's a bigger picture and you want to do something different before? Yes, absolutely. Cool. Uh, Tony said that um, he thought you offered a comprehensive airway package, but you also submit to insurance. Um, can I answer that one succinctly? Mm -hmm. She started with insurance, Tony, and then went to private pay. So the airway package that Dr. Patel goes through in detail in the course, um, that's actually for fee for service or bill as a courtesy after the fact. Whereas if you're billing insurance with all of the codes, it's gonna be important to track the actual insurance codes that you're submitting versus dummy insurance codes to just track it in your dental management software. Um, okay, so we got mystery in the history. Can you restate the four reasons that people brucks? Sleep disorders, stress, medications, SSRIs, and the stability or instability in joint muscle. Awesome. Cool. Um, do you see restorative patients during the same time as you see your sleep patients? When I first started out, it was really difficult to go from dentistry to sleep. And so what we, you know, cause you're learning and you don't have a flow. Everything's just starting out. So what we did as a team is we just booked off one little afternoon for sleep. 
And then it became a day and then it became two days. And then COVID, when COVID came, um, my uh, restorative assistant didn't come back. Um, she retired from dentistry. And so what happened was then my sleep queen became my restorative in sleep. So we had no choice but to meld it all together. But by that time, we had such a great um, flow that I would then, I was able to see restorative patients and she would do my follow-ups and sleep and, and data gathering. And, and then I would work with one of the front desk or ISAVAC. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Paul, uh, you said it makes sense and it's difficult to know how long sleep appointments take. Um, thank you for the feedback. Uh, I would say that that probably opens up the whole conversation about workflow yeah. and having really predefined roles of who does what, how long appointments should take and really dialing that in. Um, yeah. Again, if that's something that you guys want to learn more about, we do talk about that workflow and appointment times very heavily uh, in the weekend course that there's a special for. If you're, if you're talking about the clinical exam and delivery appointments, those are the clinical course. Um, but yeah, that standard and then meld it to what you actually do in the practice based on those roles. Yeah. And I, I will tell you the goal, like, did I want to do every single thing with sleep at the beginning? Yes. And then I realized that that's not going to be productive for my practice. But uh, when I actually sat down and went through my process um, out of maybe the seven appointments from start to finish consult for the, the sleep, you know, test, the records appointment, all of those things, the delivery follow-ups, I ended up, um, once we had our thing down, maybe, maybe about 45 minutes with my patient yeah. the whole time. Yeah. yeah. So it, it's got to be team driven and you got to have a really well, you know, well implemented process for your team cool. to take over. Well, we are getting some good night, goodbye waves from people in chat because we are at almost nine. We're pushing 920 East okay. your time. Yeah, 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 yeah. So um, thank you all for a great night, Dr. Mona Patel. Thank you, everyone. Um, You're awesome, you know, as usual. Thank you for spending yeah. time with us. Yeah. Thank you for joining us on this webinar. If you'd like more information on dental sleep medicine education, coaching, or home sleep testing services, please feel free to reach out to us at awakenasleep.com forward slash edu or at info at awaken number two sleep.com. Thank you and have a great day.